The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to week one of the playoffs, Hollinger and Duncan, where we have much to discuss. Not all of it positive, uh, unfortunately. The injuries have already struck. Knock on wood, not as bad as last year, although we're seeing them at a similar rate so far. I guess where I want to start, John, is how screwed are the Bucks and the Suns? Yeah, I actually... So, for the Bucks, I'm less worried about the Middleton injury and more worried just about how they played in the first two games, even when Middleton was out there. Because I thought they would steamroll the Bulls. And... That's not what's, that is not what is happening right now. And even game one, the game they won, Chicago probably played better and just missed a ton of shots that were fairly makeable for them. And then game two, I mean, they kind of got, I mean, they just got beat and were, they did some good stuff late to get back in the game, but they, for three quarters, I mean, they were just getting really outplayed. So... And then you add Middleton going out on top of that. Yes, I'm worried about the Bucks now. Um, I, th- I think that's that's pretty pretty serious. Phoenix, I have a hard time worrying too much about Phoenix. Maybe I'm being too cavalier about this. That they were able to win games in the conference finals without Chris Paul. They were able to beat the Lakers last year in the first round without Chris Paul. Yeah, being without Booker is a little bit of a different story. He's more organic to their offense, but I think. I think Chris Paul showed in the first two games of the series he can get to his spots against that defense. So I guess I'm not as fearful about Phoenix, although certainly there is, whereas before you would say there is virtually no chance they'll lose this series. Now you have to say there is some chance they will lose this series, right? I think so. Let's talk about the Bucs first. And yeah, I mean, I think they, you can't even point to the bugaboo of the shooting last game because two thirds of the way through the game, they're shooting 40% from two and actually hitting their three-pointers most of the way. They are very, very thin. DeRozan was a major problem. He's not going to shoot quite that well. You know, I mean, I think I would still be okay trying to switch Giannis onto him and see what happens in the next game and see whether he's going to be just like that white hot. But I think the Bucs are screwed. Uh, And maybe we'll get some news in the next couple of days that this Middleton injury isn't as bad as feared. But presumably, if Mike Budenholzer is saying there was an MCL injury... And we're recording this at 2 Eastern on Thursday. So by the time you listen to this, it may come out. But my assumption is it's going to be at least grade one, which means two weeks yeah. at minimum, maybe more than that. Very similar injury mechanism to with the slip on the ground that happened to Steph Curry in 2016. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful it's not more than a grade one. But the reason I think the Bucs are more screwed than Phoenix is I think they're playing a better team right now, although the Pels look good. Uh Number two, they're just not as good as Phoenix this year. And number three, we'll see what happens in the, the next series. Uh, but the Bucks have to play the Boston Celtics without home court advantage in the next round. Exactly. And I'm yeah. just not, I don't know how they're going to consistently win games in that series, particularly if the Celtics get Robert Williams back, which is looking like they're going to. And then also Chris Milton, when he comes back, hes I don't think he's going to be able to score against this Celtics defense you know one-on-one in any way uh you got to be like i don't know if you could have anyway and now you've got him potentially coming back we saw how limited Steph was when he tried to come back he'll come back really before he would have been ready as far as the regular season he'll probably be on a minutes limit to start i think there unless this middleton thing is he's only going to miss a couple of games and i'm i'm wrong about this assumption i i think they're 
in big trouble unless there's some other injury with Boston or something. Yeah, I mean, I'll say two things about the the Bulls or the game last night. One, I mean, Bobby Portis going out actually kind of hurt them too. I mean, Brooke Lopez was good last night, but it definitely it took away some of their options. Like they could have gone triple big, for instance, maybe, uh, which that option was off the table, obviously, without Portis. Not having George Hill has hurt a little bit too. They're they're just so thin right yeah. now. Not, not having P.J. Tucker has hurt a little bit? Not having P.J. Tucker is definitely hurt. Well, now Wes Matthews is like in the P.J. <laughs> Tucker role, um, but you're playing a guy 40 minutes who's really not a guy who should be one of the guys you're counting on, right? Like he was a veteran minimum guy. He was he was additional help, right? Not, not only a veteran minimum guy, a veteran minimum mid-season signing. And I thought he should have been re-signed by the Lakers. Like I thought he actually was fine last year. Yeah. And I was very surprised that he didn't have a job this season. And maybe if the Lakers didn't want him, he didn't really want to do anything other than go back to Milwaukee. And then that finally was a possibility. And he's still, he's a good player still, but he's, it shouldn't be starting. Yeah. Uh, and playing 40 minutes, as you said. So, and then, you know, Javon Carter, Andy Baca, Pat Connaughton can't hit a shot. Grayson Allen is meat defensively. So they're kind of, they're kind of out of guys at this point without Middleton in particular. They have no, they have one guy on this team who can run a pick and roll. And he, even Holiday is not that good at it. And that's, that's how you attack the Bulls with Fucevic. So I, I'm just not sure. I mean, I think they could, they're, a decent chance still to win this series, but going into uh, against that Boston defensive juggernaut, like I don't think they're gonna be able to score. I agree with you, and and I think I think Chicago has established that they have some chance of winning this season. I mean, you talk about running pick and roll with Holiday. I mean, one of the problems is that Caruso's the defender on a lot of those, so, so you're still running again into an elite defender, even if he's not the the help guy. You know, who's kind of the key to the play. He was a monster last night. Absolutely. Man, did the Lakers and, and screw that He's an one underrated up. offense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's an underrated offensive player too, honestly. Uh, but yeah, so then for Phoenix, word just came out right before we started recording that Booker expected to miss two to three weeks with this uh, mild hamstring strain. And maybe it's something where they can push him back earlier. I think it's a little easier to play on a strained hamstring than a strained calf because you can kind of manage that a little bit more and... Uh, but obviously explosive movements are required for someone in his position on the ball that much. But I think if they can get past New Orleans, which they could lose the series, as you said, but I think they have a decent chance. And then get Booker back. Like they'll have home court in the first two games that maybe they split those against either Utah or Dallas, and then they could get Booker back. Yeah. And some of these, you know, some of these second round three, series, some of these second round series, we end up with three or four days off between games two and three. Uh, d- depending on how yeah. the schedule goes. So yeah, I would say game three would be like a good target for Phoenix to get him back to play Dallas or Utah. Yeah. Now I'm not completely dismissing the Pels. Like I would actually say these games in, in New Orleans, the Pels are at least 50% chance, even greater to win that. So they could win both those games and really put him into difficulty 3-1. And it yeah. seems like there's no chance Booker can come back in this series now. And I think the other thing you talked about what they did last year without Chris Paul and number one they're going up against some injured teams and number two I think Booker is better than Paul and more valuable and number three campaign was playing great at that time and he's really had a poor season this year and so they really desperately need him to step up as one other guy who can do something off the dribble and maybe they can get Cam Johnson more involved as well he's improved this year so I'm uh yeah I think they I'm got a little a, concerned about Phoenix too. I I think the key for them is Aiton getting him going against these fives from uh from New Orleans. I mean he's I think he could score on Valanciunas or Hernan Gomez and he's so, so you're thinking you post him I up like or? straight post ups, yeah, like like yeah Lamarcus Aldridge game plan basically. Um and see what he can do against those guys. I think that's a that's an area they haven't really tapped because they haven't had to, but I think now where they are in this series and against this opponent, to me, he's the obvious next source of points. Yeah, you said Hernan Gomez. I think you mean, you mean Nance, right? The at backup. Well, yeah. Or, I mean, they're not. They haven't really played Hernan Gomez. They they were playing him earlier yeah. in the year, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. I think especially against the small group, especially if they're switching, that might be something to go to. I just I worry that a what happens when CP's on the bench, and b can he just have like he's had moments in these playoff series, right? But can he drop 25 and 15 every game? Because that's kind of what's going to be required at this point. Like, can he really do that? 
right? Like he's he'll chill throughout the game and just kind of control the game and then turn it on in the fourth quarter. But they need him every minute of the game now. Are you talking about CP so or I, Aiden I, at this point? Uh, C, CP. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, at age 36, I mean, that's asking a lot. You know, he can't go 42 minutes a game probably. You know, high 30s is probably his upper limit. And we'll see. I mean, I think they really, they're going to need to win this series defensively, is my thought. And Booker going out shouldn't hurt them that much on the defensive end. It might even help slightly. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. They got to get Ingram under control. They got to do a better job in transition, obviously, which I, I think they were just... Yeah kind of sleepwalking in that second half a little bit like that should be easily fixable sure and also the Pels were 17 to 30 from three in the last game they're not a good three-point shooting team overall uh, although they get better when they go to some of their smaller groups um it's Boston Brooklyn over I can't call it over when the both games in I mean Brooklyn could have won both games in Boston and now they're going home so I can't I cannot call it over it do, it does feel like they took the Nets best shot though Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. So level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use the code PER. Easy to remember because John and Benedict use PER to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com. And don't forget that PER code to let them know you came from us. Yeah, you know, I'm always kind of... There's this philosophy sometimes in playoff games like, okay, that was the one that you had to win. Mm -hmm. And I think that depends on how teams are playing, right? Like last year, game one, Miami against Milwaukee, the Bucks go seven of a billion from three and still win it in overtime on the crazy Middleton shot over Duncan Robinson. And then you're like, okay, like that's the one they had to win, right? The Bucks aren't going to shoot yeah. this poorly again. I uh, Brooklyn, the way that they've played, they've actually have like, exceeded my expectations i would say in terms of their quality of play it's just that kevin durant has sucked and so if that shifts and he actually starts playing well i think they can very much win games in this series and they'll they'll be at home which i think will help some as well uh and Kyrie will play better also i mean i think like the nets played very well other than simply Kyrie's shot making and then kd i think wasn't even getting good shots most of the game yeah so if that shifts, then I think Brooklyn's in it. But, of course, they now have to win four of the next five, which is the greater problem. I mean, just the banked wins. But I yeah. think they're playing well uh, relative to my expectations. Like, they're not getting run off the floor in a way I thought they might in some of these games from, like, an effort standpoint. I think they made some nice adjustments in game two, which we'll probably talk about later, that made their defense a lot more viable than in game one. So, uh yeah, it's just, and Ben Simmons coming back in game four, I mean, well, you know, it could be 3-0 by that point, so it may not matter. Uh, How many free throws do you think he ends up shooting? Yeah, I mean, to me, if I were If I were if Boston, you were Boston, would you hack a Ben? Especially if I were up 3-0, I think I would. Just because, like, this guy is, like, they're gonna he's gonna be on your biggest rival for the next couple of years probably These yeah let's just screw with his head year. right now just like right out of the shoot let's let's try to yeah 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 especially especially when he his first game back i mean that's just like now i will credit ben simmons someone who has been derided for being mentally weak like the, to actually come back in the playoffs i mean because it seems like very much of what his mental issue is is just like he can't He's just afraid of the embarrassment, basically, of the free throws and also was just afraid of, like, facing the Philly fans. That's why he couldn't do the 
better playbook of just like James Harden your way out of town and he actually yeah. cost himself 20 million bucks this year mm-hmm. instead because he just couldn't even like face anyone out on the floor. So I will give him credit that he's willing to come back in the playoffs and really potentially try to give them something even when he's not going to be anywhere near the top of his game. Yeah. But and yeah, I would, I would definitely stress test that one. You would hope that Nash plays him the first six minutes of the second and fourth quarter so that they're not in the bonus so that this doesn't come up. Yeah. Yeah. I think they'll try to just, uh, I mean, or maybe they even, would they consider starting him and then, you know, play him, play him six minutes, sit him, play him six minutes. Start at the beginning of each quarter. Yeah. You could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oof, yeah, that'll be... And then with, with teams be being in the bonus at the 927 mark of each quarter, the way these playoffs are going, <laughs> how many minutes can you play them? <laughs> yeah, really. Or I guess you can always play them the last two minutes of the quarter, too. That's Although, true. anytime he gets the ball, you could just follow him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm very interested to see what happens still in that series. And But the biggest question is just what's, is can KD get going at all? And it seems, do you have any thoughts on how it is that they've slowed him down and anything different that they could do to get him going? Yeah, run plays. <laughs> like, they, I mean, they're just, they're so static. They're, they didn't even go after Peyton Pritchard. Like, what what are we doing here? Like, are, <laughs> Peyton Pritchard yeah. is in the corner with Seth Curry. Like, bring Curry up, have him set a screen for Durant. If they double, it's an open three for Curry. If they switch, you just burn Pritchard and... You know, like they they have no option there. They they have to try to execute a very difficult hard show and and recover type thing. And they just didn't bother. They're just like, yeah, we'll just we'll just try to take Tatum one on one. Yeah, and Jason Tatum has been incredibly impressive defensively. I mean, this is some of the best defense that I've ever seen played on Kevin Durant. Yeah. Um Yeah. Him spiking Durant's jump shot in both games he's done it. And like right? you, you never see that. Well, and particularly for a guy whose jump shot has always been imperturbable the way Durant's is, smaller guys, they're used to being defended by somebody who can block their shot. They know how to deal with that. KD, I think it's totally in his head. Now, he even missed some wide open ones at the end. I thought it was leeching into his defensive effort a little bit. Also, like he got shoved under the basket by Grant Williams on a free throw box out. He was letting Al Horford get wide open corner threes and not closing out the way we've seen from him. He was just kind of playing defensively and not like really being aggressive, even when someone other than Tatum was guarding him. I mean, he did get to the foul line a lot, but I felt a lot of those fouls were kind of bailouts. And he was, I mean, four of 17. That's just incredible for a a guy with his skill set. Yeah. Any other like big things that have been uh, on your mind here? I mean, we don't have to go through every series necessarily, but big things that you wanted to talk about. What do you think about all these fouls? Yeah, I think by the end, it hasn't been too bad. I think it has been a little inconsistent at times, but also guys needed to adjust in that third quarter. I think the referees went in and saw how much off-ball holding was taking place in that Brooklyn-Boston game too. Yeah, but I okay, we got it. I don't mean just that game though. I mean the playoffs overall. I mean we've just had crazy foul rates in in virtually every game. Yeah, I think the one thing I would say that I haven't liked is that they're kind of giving too many fouls, particularly shooting fouls on the field contact and throw something up play that's not supposed to be a shooting foul. I think there are a few at the margins where guys are, you know, loose ball fouls. That's actually one thing, too, is the league's best grifters like CP and Lowry and Embiid. Anytime there's a loose ball, that they're going for and they feel the slightest amount of contact they just fall down and the referees give them that call every time like where you could just stand up and not fall down but you just feel some contact and just yeah. fall down the referees have to call it like that's one i think they could kind of crack down on a little bit like if you're going to just yeah you know what like sometimes there's going to be some contact going for a rebound that's not necessarily a foul and you could if the guy just decides to fall down you can just not call it i think that would be one i mean are there any like specific types of fouls like have you seen these fouls and been like oh these aren't fouls individually yeah Yeah, i feel like they're they're calling a lot of off the ball fouls i feel like um like there there was one where like they got one on curry yesterday where he just like he was just standing in Jalen Brown's way as he cut to the post. It was like that. No, that's not a foul. He's like, he's just standing there. And uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like there's a general whistle happiness a little bit. Like I've, I've been 
Because I saw the numbers at first, I was like, okay, maybe this is noise or whatever. And as these games have gone on, I've just like, every game, I just feel like I see stuff where I'm like, no, that's not a foul. Or like uh, the offensive foul in Horford yesterday where Bruce Bound just crumpled. You watch the replay, it was like, was there even any contact there? Um, there's, I don't know. I just feel like there's been a few of those where it's just been more noticeable to me, I guess. I do think there's some, some of this is just a change in how guys are actually playing the game. Like, I do think there are more contested yeah. rebounds right now, and that's why we're seeing more over the back fouls and loose ball fouls. Yeah, I don't know. Let's see how it plays out the rest of the way. I, I don't think, I think there have been portions of games that have been ruined, but I wouldn't say that there have been any that have just been like totally miserable because of it. Like their first quarter of Boston Brooklyn game one, third quarter of Boston Brooklyn game one, first quarter of Memphis Minnesota. Yeah, that was, those are the only yeah. times where I was like, all right, this is kind of getting out of control here. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, also, for example, Philadelphia is getting to the foul line a lot because they've got guys who are great at getting to the foul line and Toronto's fouling them. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And, you know, for example, Tobias Harris just gave like a straight two hand shove to Precious Chachua to get Joel Embiid open for the game winner last <laughs> night and they didn't call it. I think the referees are sort of, they're in a situation where they're trying to set the tone early. So that the end of the game can at least not just devolve into a complete bloodbath of holding and illegal screens and stuff because they don't want to call it at the end of the game. Uh huh. Okay. So you have to like call more fouls early so you can call fewer fouls late. I don't know. That's probably too much on the referees, though. Although that that's ever that's always the most popular topic on Twitter. That you always get the <laughs> most replies when you with any kind of a referee related tweet. Um, let's see here. Who's the best team so far? I'm sorry, I missed you there. Who is the best team so far? Okay, I'm going to say so far uh, it would be Golden State, although I could make a case for Philadelphia. Yeah, I think Philadelphia is going up against a better team. But, uh, I mean, this is just such a terrible matchup for Denver and such a good matchup for Golden State that's, that I struggle to take that's too the one, much away from it. That's the one thing that holds me back, exactly. It's just that you... It's it's almost like a perfect storm this matchup of how how inadequately Denver is uh, defending <laughs> yes, them yes. <laughs> on multiple levels. <laughs> I mean, you can't even find the words for for how bad it is at times. And then also to just have Draymond who can deal with yeah. Jokic one on one, and I, I think that's that's another thing where it's just like because Denver has no real consistent way to score outside of playing off of Jokic they just don't have enough talent outside of that so but yeah I mean Golden State has looked as good as you possibly can and and they're doing it with 24 minutes a game from Steph Curry like if Steph Curry were playing 36 minutes a game like imagine how bad that would be so I I, and I don't know how you stop that lineup with those three guards Draymond and Wiggins I'm just interested to see how that lineup is going to defend an offense that actually has guards that can take advantage of their small size. Yeah. So that that'll be that'll be the test. A, a team that actually has some athleticism, like Memphis, if that series happens, would be really fascinating because I do think Memphis has much better personnel to match up with those guys and way more athleticism. And so, like Denver is not capable of beating you athletically, which is how you have to beat that group. But they've they've looked pretty good. I mean, I think if you. If you had to make a championship prediction right now, given the injuries to Middleton, because that was, was that your, no, you had Boston and I had Boston advancing past Milwaukee. Yeah. So I had Boston and Phoenix in the final. So my Phoenix pick is imperiled. My Boston pick is looking pretty good right now. Um, Yeah. I mean, would that be enough? Would this be enough to push me toward Golden State? over phoenix maybe i i want to see how it looks next round against memphis too i mean that's that should be a hell of a series yeah and without home court for golden state yeah it's gonna be pretty weird for golden state to not have home court in the second and third rounds and then, and then potentially have, have home court have it in, in the, the finals. finals if they get there yeah that that would be weird if if that were to happen although if there's anyone that you trust to win on the road it, it's golden state um let's see we, we've taught we know that uh neither of us were right on that toronto and philly series at least toronto got like a quarter and a half of playing the way we thought they would play that caused <laughs> right? problems for philly that brief so we don't feel like we are completely insane to believe that that was possible now, now we could just blame the scotty barnes injury right yeah uh who would you say has done the best coaching job so far so 
Uh, two things when I thought about this stood out. Um, Ime Udoka at the end of game one, managing that to get the quick two for one on the Brown drive, spring the quick double on, double on Kyrie that I don't think he was expecting at the other end. Um, and then what, and then not calling the timeout to let them free flow to get the, you know, for the play that got the Tatum layup at the buzzer. I thought that was tremendous. Uh, I thought he's been really impressive through these two games. And then... Uh, Doc Rivers with the crucial timeout in Toronto last night, saving a dead play and then drawing up a pretty good one, uh, which was helped by Nick Nurse not putting pressure on the ball uh, to get Joel Embiid's game. Well, uh, so how would would Fred Van Vliet have really stopped that pass? Oh, I think and, and the, uh, you have to yeah. take him out of the game and put in Chris Boucher. I mean, if, if he's going to be guarding the ball, you don't you don't have a your shortest guy out there on the ball. You'd have to take Van Vliet or Trent out and put one of your tall guys on the ball. Yeah, I, I thought Trent, to me, was the goat there. He appeared to be guarding Tobias Harris, and then they set the screen. And you know, t- Toronto, I think they were just very concerned about something going to the basket. And yeah. I don't think they should have been as concerned because of where the inbound was taking place, like almost all the way at half court. They didn't really have the angle for that type of a pass. And so Trent was just standing at the free throw line. Everyone else ran to the weak side, which was, as you mentioned, was a good play design. But then Trent's man, Tobias Harris, set the screen and Trent was just nowhere to be found to switch on to Embiid and deny him. And so that's how Embiid got open. I mean, that's it was still a, a preposterous yeah, shot, actually, you know, with point nine is, on the shot clock. Because the thing I thought they were going to do was the Jay Triano Memorial no goaltending on an inbounds play play with Embiid. Yeah. Because he, I mean, he's so much bigger than anyone Toronto could even put on the floor and could just shove him out of the way. I mean, we got, I know this, we got beaten by that play. Jay Triano was the coach of Phoenix, was at the buzzer. They inbounded to Tyson Chandler just right at the rim. And he just literally over the rim dunked it. And I, I thought that play was an option for Philadelphia to use here. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what Nurse was saying to, uh, because they're in that stack too. I mean, that's, that's a... Nurse saw the way they're lined up, and I think that's like they'll run that a lot of times where the guy will start in the stack, curl around the top, and then go to the basket. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why they had Van Vliet stand back there. But I, I wouldn't blame it on the inbounds. I think it was just the fact that they weren't like ready to switch on that play. But I think they were like, they also were like, hey, you know what? If we give up a fading three pointer with 0.9 on the shot clock, like that's okay. That might be we're the just, shot you live with. Yeah. And yeah, but I, on the other hand, it, they were to me they were too far away to accurately get the angle for that sort of a pass. Um, that's actually something I think coaches can miss on occasion is the specific place of the inbound, like because it's a rare situation. Like there's times when they're inbounding like way in the corner or something, and the offensive coach will run the normal play that they run, but they just don't have the space to get the ball inbounds. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Um, On the best coaching job front, loved what Jason Kidd has done i thought that he went for absolute broke in game two knowing that the series was over if they lost that one yeah and he has one lineup that is capable of scoring against utah which is that five out group they have precisely five guys who can shoot and defend and he put those five guys out there he played kleba at center for 32 minutes in that game and that's how they ended up winning i thought that was really fantastic and then just the overall defensive approach to hold utah to so few three-point attempts and almost no catch and shoot three point attempts. I mean, not almost no, but relative to their normal average. Yes, really, really impressive. Uh, his he and his staff have done a great job. That's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about kid because I hadn't just thought about that whole series that much. But <laughs> a, I think that's a really good point. Any, any other like coaching stuff that you wanted to highlight? Little disappointed in Brooklyn again. Like yeah, I don't know. Like it just felt like they were just just leaving it to Durant to be awesome and it was a little that way in game one too i felt like um where they and and even going back to some of the stuff from the from the end of the regular season where it's like okay you have durant and durant and kyrie durant and kyrie can i say their names correctly um 
but you you got to do more than just roll the balls out there still. I don't know. What do you what do you think of their offensive approach? Well, Bob Vulgaris, uh, who's a, a brilliant basketball mind, was very critical of them on Twitter for I think it was he had the stat that this is the second game playoff game since 2017 where a team has taken more than 40 percent of their shots as twos outside the paint yeah and yeah i mean that that's a a crazy high number on the other hand i think he's being a little too harsh on them because that's what these guys do like what actions should they be running against this celtics defense that can switch everywhere and force you into one-on-one play and is like and you also have to play two non-shooters at all time or your defense is a disaster what actions should they be running to get more three-pointers like i'm just not really sure what they should be doing you can't really play spread pick and roll because you have two guys who can't shoot i guess you could put braun in the corner but and he'll make a few but he's not like some massive threat out there and obviously like kd and Kyrie are like they shoot over 50 percent for mid-range like that's what they do they're the ones taking most of these and they just happen to go like eight out of 28 or whatever it was I mean, I shouldn't say happened because the defense yeah. was good. Less so on Kyrie, definitely more so on KD. I thought Kyrie to me was just missing shots. They also should probably run more stuff to get Kyrie more than 13 shot attempts and only have one assist as well. It's not like, oh, they're doubling him and that's why he's only had 13 shot attempts. So yeah, I agree. Offensive approach, I think could be better, although the whole long two thing, like let's give Boston some credit here too. I think though that, I mean, that's Brooklyn's philosophy. They don't really seem to control what, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving do on the court, there is a, off the there court. There is an overarching theme play. here. Yes, absolutely. Uh, now, I thought the things that they could control defensively, they, they made some really nice adjustments in game two. Going to Brown on Tatum, Bruce Brown on Tatum, where because Jalen Brown cooked him, and you'd think, well, if, if Jalen Brown's cooking him, Jason Tatum is better than Bruce Brown. Like he's really gonna, or, or better than Jalen Brown, he's really gonna cook Bruce Brown. But Bruce Brown can kind of get into Tatum and Tatum doesn't have that same power and first step that Jalen does. So it actually was a better matchup for Brooklyn. And they were willing to deal with Curry or Dragic on Jalen because that meant that Durant and Claxton or Drummond could be on the back line again, and they could actually protect the rim a little bit. Uh, and, and so just the overall team defense was way better. They didn't get killed on the boards. Like I thought that those were good adjustments to me defensively. I thought their defense looked way better through most of the game, particularly in the first half. Uh, so I think, the offense, yeah, but it's kind of like that. This is what they signed up for here. Yeah. Any other? Uh, and co- I think yeah, coaching fails. But well, I was going to say one more thing too. Sure. I think this is where they really miss Harden because if you look at the way that James Harden just he knows how to play, take advantage of the weak defender when there is one on the floor. Like Tyson Pritchard are the two guys they should basically go after on every single possession. Yeah. Which they're not. Yeah. And Harden has played that way for years and years, and he would organize the offense in that series last year. Granted, you know, they didn't have Horford, they didn't have White, like it wasn't they didn't have Jalen Brown, it wasn't the same team, but Harden would organize the offense and get these guys in a position where they had good matchups and they would, you know, Peyton Pritchard, every possession he was on the floor, he was just getting cooked in last year's series. Same with Evan Fournier. Um yeah, let's see. Any other coaching stuff that stood out? I guess just simply for the eighth seeds, both of them not having time to prepare for game one, really, I thought really showed. And then they came out with yeah. much better plans in game two. I would agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can't, again, you can't really play. I mean, I mean, you win an emotional game on the road just to get in the playoffs. And then it's just on a plane and you're, you know, you're not going to practice that next day because you're on the plane. So you're just reading through a folder that the video guys gave you or whatever, watching some yeah. clips. Especially Atlanta. They were like the first game of the day on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. So not much, not much turnaround to zip in from Cleveland. Yeah. So yeah, that's a. I that mean, I don't think they even. I don't know if they would have ever even had a chance to get on the would, court and just like walk they, through. Anything. No, you're because you're not even going to have a shoot around, right? So you might have an early walkthrough. You might improvise something like that where you say, "Okay, we're going to have the arena to ourselves from nine thirty to ten thirty because it was a one o'clock game, right? Uh, but it's yeah. yeah, it's tough. It's it's tough, man. Uh, there is one other coaching adjustment I think we have to talk about. Okay. Steven Adams, two minutes played in game two. Oh, yes, of course. How could we forget about this? Yeah. And I I think that's probably going to be a relatively permanent adjustment in this series. Give, I mean, give credit to Taylor Jenkins for making that adjustment quickly. Obviously, Adams getting 2,000 in game two helped speed that along. But just the, the realization that this is just a better matchup in this series for Xavier Tillman. 
Uh, and, you know, they're probably going to play the rest of the series with Tillman and Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. being the guys who, who play the five for them. X is one of my most underrated, most enjoyable players to watch. Like he, especially given that he was out of the rotation almost all year, stayed ready, just like knows the scouting report, executes the scouting report on Carl Anthony Towns as a second year player better than anyone yeah. else that they have. He's yeah. tough. I think he's improved his athleticism at least a little bit this year. He had some nice dunks and offensive rebounds in game two. Really, really like that guy. And just to have him as a guy who wasn't even playing for you that you can throw in. I mean, that's just an incredible luxury. Absolutely. And that's, we talked about this a little yesterday in our green room, but the thing with depth in the playoffs is that it's not depth that you're going to play 13 guys in the same game. It's depth that you can choose the correct seven or eight guys to match up against that particular opponent. So when you have one of your core guys who doesn't fit against that opponent, you can go to your bench and pluck another option and insert him as a replacement, as Memphis did with with Tillman, and it worked out fantastic. Well, and then I think this is a nice dress rehearsal for potentially the second round with Golden State, too. They'll probably will start Adams just to start him, particularly if Golden State starts Looney. But I think, and and they also saw it with Valanchunas last year, where he just couldn't stay on the floor. And Valanchunas is at least better offensively than Steven Adams is. And he still got cooked all the time. And this Warriors team is way better than last year's Warriors team. So I think at least now Jenkins is not going to mess around with Steven Adams if it's just not working in that Warriors series too. And But I guess the next question is like, are we getting that Warriors Grizz series? What would what would stop it from happening? Are you asking me if Minnesota can beat Memphis? That was a roundabout way. Yeah, yes. I, <laughs> I still don't really see that happening. I I th- I think Memphis got control of the series in Game Two. I think they kind of they kind the biggest thing about Game One was just Towns against Adams was such a mismatch, right? And cleaning that up in Game Two, it just tilted all the advantage back to Memphis. That doesn't mean Minnesota can make these guys sweat take it to six or seven games, but I think ultimately the Grizzlies still win. Yeah, Jackson hitting some threes was big as well from a gravity standpoint, particularly if they're going to start Anderson. He needs to do that. And But I guess I'm not going to rule out Minnesota because I think Edwards can go off against these guys. We've seen that. He's had two amazing games and one mad one. And you know, I think it was a little bit of a rush to anoint this guy as like the league's next great superstar. And I think he's going to be a really good player and an all-star for sure. But to just say, all right, he's had two good games and now he's like the greatest player ever. Like that was was a little bit of a stretch. Like he's the nature of his game is that if he's making shots, it's going to look really good. And so he, uh, but he doesn't always make shots. That's, (laughs) that's the nature of his game. And so, uh, but I was really impressed with what he did defensively in game one also. I, but I, I agree with you. I think like Memphis won all the stuff that we expected them to win in game two with fast break, the boards, that kind of, Minnesota's a terrible defensive rebounding team, especially if they're only going to play Vanderbilt nine minutes. And like Minnesota can get hot from three, I think, and win some games, but I, I would significantly favor the Grizz still, as you do. I, at the end of the day, I just don't think Minnesota is good enough defensively to really uh, sink their teeth into these guys. So they have to have outlier offensive performances almost to win yeah which they can do at times but yeah i mean i'm sorry carl anthony towns trying to defend the john morant pick and roll is just it's so easy to exploit that in the end that and then you throw in some of the athletic advantages for memphis i mean that was the other thing is that memphis actually looked like the more athletic team again in game two where whereas minnesota looked like it in game one yes any do you think you how would you be trying to handle this series going forward from the Minnesota side anything that you think they can they can do that might give them more of a chance just focus harder on packing the paint and not flying out at, at blah three-point shooters I mean Bain is the only guy that you really have to panic about the other guys if they're going to take threes I, th- I think you have to live with that I mean we saw these super aggressive closeouts on on Anderson on Zaire Williams like guys no like just stay solid let him shoot that yeah I I mean it Nas Reed is like just getting back onto the court now after he flew into the stands (laughs) trying to contest a Kyle Anderson (laughs) three-pointer exactly yeah Chris Finch was uh said basically no we need Nas Reed to be better like he's just making all these little mistakes that are really deflating and yeah he, he had a couple of blocks in the second quarter of game two, but mostly he has really struggled. I think, and that, you know, 
Towns played 43 minutes in game one for a reason, and I don't really... I, I would play around maybe with Vanderbilt as the backup center, try to get some more speed there as well. Some of these lineups from Finch of like Reed, Russell, McLaughlin, Beasley, and Prince was a lineup that he put out there. And like you just... That lineup has no chance of competing athletically with this Memphis team at the start of the second quarter. They, they got worked pretty good. Uh, I mean, I think... More Jalen McDaniels. I probably would start Jalen McDaniels, bring Vanderbilt off the bench as the backup center. and That's interesting. Yeah. They've had to go to McDaniels a lot, I think, to kind of stay with Memphis. It helped that he was making shots in game one, but he's... I mean, he's a pretty negative offensive player at this point most of the time. So that's yeah. But compared to Vanderbilt, <laughs> I think yeah. Well, and they just they need someone like he had three blocks, some ridiculous blocks in this. By the way, just a quick aside here: Who saw Jalen? Or I'm sorry, I, I've been saying Jalen like an asshole. He plays for Charlotte. Jaden McDaniels. Who saw Jaden McDaniels as like a defensive stopper? He was. He had nothing like that reputation as a prospect. Yeah, I mean, it was just there was an obsession with the length. I mean, he did show a lot of shot blocking, but Washington played that zone the whole time, so it was really hard to see kind of what was there. There was a little of that with Tybal too, but Tybal was so active in that zone, you could still see like he had so many steals and blocks. Uh, so it it was harder with McDaniel's because he was playing low in that zone. Well, and even before that, too, like I remember he played for the Washington or the uh, Portland Generals at the Hoop Summit for two years and come in and just jacked a bunch of long twos. And had he just had this reputation of just being a guy who didn't play hard and just wanted to shoot. And oh, stuff. that was and definitely so, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that was definitely a thing going into the draft, too. But yeah, I think it was more of him and just trying to get some more athletic lineups on the floor because otherwise they just can't defend unless they have someone like that i mean if you're towns and prince all right you might be able to score there but you're just you're not gonna be able to stop anybody with that group eventually could minnesota go zone a little more how often have they done that this year i don't think they've done it too much i, ju- I just wonder against this opponent where you just want to kind of pack it in and make it yeah threes. i think I like going zone against teams that don't necessarily have a guy that you can get the ball at the free throw line. But I, here's the problem, though, against with them going zone is you, all you got to do is you set a screen on one of those top two guys in the zone, and then Morant's going downhill at Carl Anthony Town. Like yes. they, they they can't have. I mean, you're sort of the way it works in the NBA is you're basically playing a drop coverage on any kind of a pick and roll with using those top two guys. And now maybe what you do is you just have the guys on the on the the guard or the opposite wing like suck in enough that you still can't get penetration off those plays and then just say, hey, we're going to give up open threes from above the break. So yeah, that, that's a thought. But teams also only go zone on a make usually, and that's not going to help them in transition. It'll make them even worse on the boards. I mean, it's worth trying if they get lit up in, in game three, I suppose. But uh The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Uh, Most surprising players how about jalen brunson like i i i didn't think he had like 41 points of good in him and and you watch it i mean he was just beating utah's guards one-on-one they he wasn't even getting a screen well and also six of ten from three I mean, just getting up 10 three-pointers that he just hasn't had that mentality and again i, I credit the coaching here as well clearly jason kidd has come in and said the way we're gonna win this series all you guys, if you have the slightest glimmer of an opening from three, just bomb it. And they got up 47 three-point attempts. I think they made 22 of them in that game, too. And so Brunson to get up 10, like Finney Smith, when he's open, go ahead and fire. Obviously, Kleba was 8 of 11. Now, a lot of those are wide open, too. I think if we're going to talk bad coaching jobs, I would say Quinn Snyder has probably got to be up there near the top for the second consecutive year. Granted, it's a personnel thing, but there's they could be a little bit more connected in terms of their rotations and at least at least make them shoot a, above the break three instead of a corner three when Gobert comes and help. Yeah, it's one pass and there's no rotation at all. And um, but I still, I think if Luka doesn't play tonight, which is looking like it's probably going to be the case, 
Uh, you know, I think Utah is significant favorite to win games at home. And there's only so many, like Dallas went all, all out to win that game. Like, I don't know if they can bring that type of an effort every single night, particularly going with, since they only have five guys that work to yeah. score. And I would expect Utah to go all, all out to win this game too. So that's going to be another thing they're working against. Uh, I mean, have you, Nick Nurse has always been at the top of our coaching rankings. Have you been disappointed in Toronto's effort uh, and, and plan? Feels more like he brought a knife to a gunfight type thing. Like I, I, I guess I, I thought Philadelphia made good adjustments to how Toronto beat them in the regular season. Like, they're just running it down their throat and taking advantage of Toronto crashing. I just don't know if that's a thing you can... Uh, it's, t- it's tough to stop that in game 84 to, to say, okay, that thing we've done all year that's been like a core thing for us, we're not going to do. Uh, so I thought that put them in a tight spot. Obviously not having Barnes put them in a worse place. I think, I mean, they've ended up a lot of times with Siakam trying to attack Joel Embiid, and it just, it just hasn't gone well. I, I do wonder if there are other places they can, they can look for points, but with, with Trent being sick, and again, there's no Barnes, so, you know, Ananobi's not really like an off-the-dribble, shake-and-bake guy. They, there just aren't a lot of places for them to go, I feel like. No, I think that's reasonable, and Embiid, when he's switched, is really can stop anybody on their roster, frankly, if, if he's switching out on his own late clock. I think defensively has been the bigger issue. Like their offense has been fine in this series. I think they've scored more than expected. It's just they're giving up, you know, 150 offensive ratings in the first two games. And yeah, the transition has been crazy. I I think yet their half court defense has been a little too focused on stopping Harden from scoring and then he's setting up guys for three pointers. But Overall, I think this is seventy five percent when seventy five percent Philly just being unbelievable. You know, yeah, that's and their their effort. Joel running the floor in transition, like that's another thing. You just what what are you going to do about seven two two eighty posting up right at the charge circle in transition or getting offensive rebounds in a scramble situation in transition? Um, and Barnes being out obviously has, has hurt them as has Young being hurt and and Trent. I think maybe, but I don't think even if they were hold the first two games in Philly go any differently, probably they win game two or game three. And maybe it's kind of a series, but it probably would have ended up being Philly in five or gentlemen's, six. Gentlemen's sweep. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than uh, Toronto in six as a couple of idiots picked. Who said that? Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of which, most surprising player, Danny Green now is like stalwart three and D guy. He played 46 oh, minutes in game yeah, three. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. And I know he's not putting up some unbelievable line. I think he was three of seven from downtown. But just to have a guy who doesn't have a huge weaknesses on either end, like you have to guard him and you can't, at least Toronto, can't attack him defensively. They desperately need it. So it would be Niang otherwise if it yeah. if it weren't him. Yeah. And yeah. And Toronto happily hunted Niang in that uh, in that game I went to in the regular season. So I do think that's a big difference. Any other players that really have broken out or surprised you? I'm Jordan Poole, probably for me, because I still didn't know how to regard kind of that late season run he went on. And now you watch, it's like, wow, okay, <laughs> this is completely legit. And some of the shots that, like, how many people in the NBA can make some of these shots that he's making, right? I mean, that just the play on DeMarcus where he drives into him, backs up. 15 feet and hits like a fading corner three and there's there's not many guys in the league who can make that shot consistently and i think he's going to cool off a little bit like i don't know if he's going to just hit 40 percent from three on this type of shot diet for the rest of his career but he can bomb it from the outside he's blowing by guys finishing at the rim his passing game has been really good and so the next question is going to be what about a team that can really target him and stuff defensively but of course denver doesn't have anybody with any size who can do anything. Uh, most disappointing players, Aaron Gordon has been atrocious. Yes. I, I wrote down Nikola Jokic, but Aaron Gordon, yeah, it's been, yeah, that's probably more of an exclamation point. Why would you say Jokic? Just because my bar for him is so high. Yeah. So it's not that he's been terrible, but my bar is be the best player in the league. And I don't think he's been that either. Even even with going against Draymond, I just expected a little more from him. 
I thought he might go back to his three ball a little more in this series. He can't make he it. Stopped, he tried he stopped, to do that. He stopped shooting them the last 20 games or so because he was going through a slump from distance. And one of the things I wondered is, could he loosen this defense up by taking six threes a game? Because that was what he did. That was the adjustment he made against Rudy Gobert in the bubble, right? Yep. And he hasn't he hasn't been able to make that shot consistently the last quarter of the season now. And so that's a little bit, take a little bit of the, of the shine off of him. And then he's, you know, he's struggled having to play one-on-one against Dre. Again, he's, you know, he's doing stuff. He's scoring, like he's doing some good things. It's just, you, you're just not feeling his impact on the game overall because, uh, you know, a lot of it is the personnel around him, I know, but... I, I guess I've just been a little disappointed in him too that we still haven't felt him a little more. No, I agree. I like Draymond to me relative to expectations, maybe has even won that matchup. Although I've always felt that Draymond defended Jokic very well. I know some people in Denver have disagreed with me on that. But this is not unexpected that Jokic would be kinda all right, you know, twenty-five points on twenty-five shots. And we don't necessarily have to double team. I think the biggest thing is just that Jokic can't hit the three. Like if he had that, then he could get open on pick and pop and, and you might have to switch him more and then he could get a matchup. Draymond is so good. And that's the thing is like Jokic against most centers, even ones who can guard him, they can set like little wedge screens for him. He'll like fake into a pick and roll and then slip to the basket, get the ball on the move. But Draymond is too quick for all that. Like he's just there when he catches the ball every single time. And Jokic, he can dominate most guys. But he doesn't really have, you know, like a triple threat first step game necessarily. Like he's just got to kind of methodically back down and he can't move Draymond that well. Draymond bothers his hook shot and the double team might come from behind and they've actually gotten him a couple of times, which is rare. Most yeah. that usually he sees that coming. Um, Draymond was waiting on his baseline spin too. He's got a lot of gotten yeah. a lot of people with that baseline spin this year. He, I think it was game one. He tried to get him and Draymond was just right there. Well, and then the other problem, too, is Aaron Gordon is so off that there's always a second guy just kind of hanging out under the basket. And and so there is, if he really tries to get right into the paint, then there'll be some help there and they can't, they don't have the spacing to make the pass. And then defensively, I mean, it's been, it's been really bad. It it has been, again, I'm, everyone wants to blame the talent around him, but it's just, I mean, you the only thing they can do is bring him out on the floor and then he's just meat like i don't i don't care who you have in today's nba as an on-ball defender if you set a screen at half court for steph curry they're not gonna be able to get over that screen and stay attached you have to have some sort of a plan yeah and you know it was and it was the same thing against phoenix last year so i i fear that my feeling that it's very difficult to win a championship with Jokic because of his defensive limitations despite his offensive brilliance I, I haven't seen anything to change that opinion in this series I'll say that um let's see best game would be Brooklyn and Boston game one right I would say so I mean we we hey we got a treat yesterday though we had three great ones but I, I would still go with Brooklyn Boston best individual performance in a game so far I think I have three candidates that stand out to me. Uh, Jason okay. Tatum in game one, uh, DeMar DeRozan last night, and Brandon Ingram in game two. I think I've got to go DeMar. I, that was, he was eight of nine on shots with Giannis as his primary defender. Like they couldn't, they tried everything. I, yeah. They tried switching. They tried to drop coverage. They tried Drew. They tried Middleton. They tried Wes Matthews. Finally, they, finally they tried to just put two on the ball late. And I think DeRozan missed Vucevic on the pop a couple of times on that, but he was also pretty exhausted by that. I mean, maybe they'll go back to that. But I mean, when is the last time a Mike Budenholzer defense put two on the ball when he was in Atlanta, probably? (laughs) They've never done that in Milwaukee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of those pull-ups he was hitting over Giannis were just so impressive because you never see people just shoot over his length and do it sort of as calmly as DeRozan did like it was, he made it he made it look normal that you could get the shot off over Giannis yeah which is which is not normal yeah so I would go with that game too by DeRozan that was just a monster monster performance and there's as flawed as DeRozan may be how many guys are capable of that type of performance like maybe KD was doing that to them in some of those games last year not many 
other than that, I, I would yeah, say. Yeah. Uh, MVP of the playoffs. I guess we're only two games in here, three. Uh, but in the case of Philly and Toronto, Joel Embiid clearly looking pretty damn good so yeah. far. Uh, Jason Tatum. Well, he was only five of sixteen in game two. Okay. Okay. But monstrous. But, uh, I mean, on defensively, defense in yes. Both games. Yeah. No, that that's certainly the case. Um, I think it probably has to be Joel. Like he's just had three yeah. ridiculous games, and he hit that game winner as well. And also, hey, he's played fifty percent more games. How can you not give it to the guy who has played fifty percent more games than any of the other candidates? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it's all it's all about value, right? Come on. <laughs> Nate throwing red meat out there for the Joel Embiid supporters. <laughs> Yeah, and I think this has been a... I've really vacillated back and forth on just who I think is the better player between Joel and Jokic. And Joel had a rough playoffs last year. Jokic had a good playoffs, but then it wasn't... Then he struggled against Phoenix. I think overall Jokic has a superior playoff resume, but Joel, I mean, it was just good to see him have a great playoff moment, which he really has kind of been denied so far. Yes. And man, just the... uh, But I, I fear the biggest thing that we're looking at is just injuries. I mean, both finalists being in trouble right now potentially due to injuries to either their best or second best player is just such a bummer and i just hope there aren't any more of these because last year was totally ruined by them yes we haven't we haven't had it yet rob us of like a great overall series but that's definitely on the it's definitely on the table right like boston milwaukee might not be what it could have been uh and then we'll see what happens with Phoenix. i'm more excited for philly miami though yes yeah, that could be Both really good. Both those teams look really good. How about, yeah, I mean, we didn't talk about Jimmy Butler, but he was awesome in game two. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, will had, give us some credit. Yeah, go, go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, he had the he basically had me and you defending him, but still. <laughs> well, I, I will give us some credit in our playoff preview if we, we're going to take it on the chin in the Toronto series, obviously. But saying that Steph Curry and Jimmy Butler had pretty easy matchups, is that's looking fairly prescient so far. Yeah. With, with Steph scoring more than a point a minute and Jimmy Butler having 45. Although, Jimmy Butler can shoot again now all of a sudden? We're doing this again? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, he got to some pull-up threes off the dribble in that in that game, too. It's Man, basketball, just analyzing basketball is so weird sometimes. And particularly now that the dichotomy between the regular season and the playoffs is it's much or, or the, the gap between them is much greater yeah and so you're just like okay like is this just random chance that jimmy butler is now hitting all these shots he couldn't hit them last year against milwaukee oh but he wasn't feeling good he went crazy in the bubble season in 2020 well maybe that was just the bubble it's just you no know, i guess sometimes you just have to sit back and see what happens because there's no there's no way anybody could predict whether jimmy butler is gonna make jump shots or not i think at this point i mean half the battle on the analytics side a lot of times is figuring out what's real and figuring out what's a you know mirage of statistical noise last question here before we go what are you most eager to see over this next week or so i'm eager to see how phoenix responds without booker uh I am, I guess I'm eager to see if Brooklyn has any, can still make this a series. I'm eager to see what the Bucks do. That, that, that's probably the, that Bucks Bulls series. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me is the one, that's the one that seems most likely headed to an upset. I'll set Dallas, Utah aside because that depends so much on Lucas health. Uh, so that, that's probably one where I'm most eager to see what happens next, which is funny because if you had asked me before the playoffs, I would have said that's might be the series that I'm least excited about. Uh, yeah, but Bulls have Bulls have really shown that they match up maybe a little better than we thought, and have have been able to really take it to Milwaukee in some areas. Yeah, one thing that struck me watching last night's game is Milwaukee. Other than the Giannis aspect of that, most teams don't have someone who can guard Giannis, and I would put the Bulls in that category. They don't really have the personnel to take advantage of teams' weaknesses the way you would normally expect a great team in the playoffs, right? Like Nikola Vucevic being too slow in pick and roll. Well, they actually don't have a way to take advantage of that, Um, particularly now that Chris Middleton is out. DeMar DeRozan at the four being being very limited defensively. They don't really have a way to take advantage of that. Um, Then the Bulls, they have all these non-shooters, but Miami or, or Milwaukee is just like, DeRozan's just going to hit a bunch of mid-rangers anyway. It's hard to double-team. I think they should do more to get the ball out of his hands, potentially. I think we will see that if he gets hot in Game 3. 
but it, it is kind of interesting that Milwaukee in some ways has like and then they don't really have a great counter for a shooting center either with Vucevic and they don't have a way to play that guy off the floor on offense yeah. so they the Bulls have these weaknesses but Milwaukee hasn't particularly taking advantage of them and can't it seems yeah and then their their drop coverage is really vulnerable to Vucevic too right we've seen that the first two guys the first game he just missed them yeah I mean that's that's huge for him to get up 18 three-point attempts in the first two games I really like that a lot well yeah I mean that's so Milwaukee and Phoenix I mean we there's a scenario in which we're talking next week and those teams are done or down three two or something like that's and those are the two favorites in each conference to be potentially out in the first round like that is just a massive massive story and it's a shame that it's due to injuries although again as you noted in particular the bucks were uh (laughs) what the the bucks were not playing well what was it you said about phoenix's defense in the first that that bodner liked oh they were just like newspaper they were just reading the paper while they covered new orleans stuff um yeah. Now we'll we'll see how that goes in Game Three. New, New Orleans, some outlier shooting in in that second game, uh, and some transition failures by Phoenix. I actually, when I watched that game, I felt like Phoenix would be okay with how things went in the half court with for them. They're just there are times though where they're just where they literally like had five back, but were just lollygagging so much that they got scored on in transition anyway. Yeah, I think they had like maybe six or seven just straight runouts, which most of which were due to just transition negligence rather than, you know, a pick six or something like that. Exactly. All right, we've gone on long enough here. Yeah, sorry. Uh, unless you had anything else, we can we can wrap I, up. I think I'm done. What did you write about for The Athletic this week? Uh, I, what did I write about? I wrote about the four guards uh, who have been the big story of, story of the first round. Uh, Jordan Poole, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Maxey, who we didn't really talk about much today, uh, and Jalen Brunson. No, yeah, I actually haven't read that yet. I think I will as as soon as we're done here. And we will talk to y'all next week. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.